Well, welcome to another edition of Unplug It, our second episode for season 2022. And obviously a fair bit has happened, good and bad, since our last recording. Obviously some of it tragic. You would have heard our Shane Warne tribute last week. That obviously happened a day or two after we put down last week's episode. There's been a bit of news on and off the field for the Saints. A pleasing performance against Essendon, marred by a couple of injuries. So there was some encouragement, but some setbacks. The girls got up again, so two wins in a row ahead of a really tough task against the Adelaide Crows next up for them. So there's a lot on the agenda. Also some hierarchy changes behind the scenes for St Kilda forecast going forward. And we have round one within a week against the Magpies at Marvel, who had uh, almost, they almost threw up a nomination for that very St Kilda, which we'll bring up a little bit later on. I, I half expected Braden Maynard to get off at the tribunal just because of the circumstances, but he didn't. Um, but we've got that nomination and keep those coming through during the week. It, it happened that as soon as we launched that segment, there was about a million of them in the next few days. So um, I think that's, since it's, yeah, I, that's, I think that's so St Kilda that we launched right. a segment like that. And all of a sudden, all these things are just so St Kilda. And in our pre-show production meeting, um, we actually came up with several and actually had to exclude some. There were that many. But uh, I'll start off with you, Nick. Uh, we were sitting there having a couple of beers. It was good to do that at Marvel again. Been a long time. Nice. Um, and down the Bombers, which is always pleasing, as we say, beat the three Cs, Carlton, Collingwood and Essendon. But um, <laughs> your thoughts on the game with, unfortunately, a, a couple of injuries? Yeah, look, it was – that. I think that was the main thing. It was just nice to – be back at the footy and sitting with mates and, and have a mm. beer and, and enjoy it. Um, the game itself was kind of strange. I think we played well in patches and very poorly in patches. Uh, was great to see Josh Battle do what Josh Battle does and, and get through. Um, was good to see Max King clunk a couple and, and kick one or two. Um, other than that, it was just good to see them run out. Really, I don't I don't think we learned too much from it. I've, I've watched the replay a couple of times now. I still don't know exactly how we're going to play come round one. Mm. Um, I still don't know exactly what the makeup of the best 22 is. Um, it seems to change almost daily, especially with, with injuries and other personnel issues and all that sort of stuff. But um, look, it's going to be a really interesting week and in a, in a bit. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I don't think we, we learned too much, but it was just nice to, to kind of get through and, and get a win. Yeah, I liked the um, the ball movement at times. I thought the defensive setup was pretty good. Rowan Marshall, good in the ruck with 24 touches and, and obviously Gresham coming back looked good. So I thought as a performance, it was pretty solid. Um, obviously, you lose Hunter Clark and Jack Billings, which which hurts. And obviously, the Hunter Clark one coming after, I think I put him up as a nomination last week as a player that was vital to our success going forward. So that in itself is very St Kilda. But H, your uh, your assessment of the game, um, yeah, as I said, I, I thought we ticked, ticked boxes. But if someone had said to me before the game, you can win by 11 and lose those two blokes or lose by 11 and not, then you're taking the defeat. Oh, absolutely. As I, as I was pointing out last, last pod that practice games are results. It's, it's not really what we're looking at. We're looking at how players play, how we get through the game, hopefully without injuries. And that's where we've fallen over this time. The injuries have sort of hurt us a little bit. You, you think, well, they're two players who are going to be basically in our best 22 or maybe the extended 25 with emergencies and that every week. So it's a matter of, okay, now we have to replace them. It's something you would rather not be going into round one with really. That's a matter of, we wanted to get them out there, get them, get us a practice match in because it's compared to what you used to have back in the 
what, 10 years ago. It's a very short preseason these days. It, you, the match practice is absolutely minimal. And that they are so key to running into round one. And I mean, I've, I have pushed over the last few years saying that the, the preseason has got too short. They're, you're finding more players getting injured in these two games compared to what you would with when you used to have, say, about four games. Because it just don't have that match practice and they just seem to get injured. It's, it, it'd be better, I reckon, going back. Well, even if like they're talking about Tassie coming in soon as a team, do we go to there playing 18 rounds? What play each team once? Have a bit of a longer preseason, even bring back a preseason cup of some sort, and then have a slightly longer finals. You still get the same amount of footy, but I think it's just going to prolong players a bit more if you look at extending your preseason and getting a match fit and rushing into round one. It feels like that's what has happened. So it's really it hurts teams and with there's a few teams have lost a few key players already and it's yeah it's it's it affects the whole game when you look at it yeah you, you sense, want the best players out there every week yeah and, and you sense on the tassie thing if they go to 19 they'll either want to go to 20 or they'll want to trim it back to 18 which i don't mm. think they'll do i think they're probably beyond that stage now but you never know um and yeah i think that if that is the case they'll move closer towards the playing everyone once model because yeah. um, you'd only end up playing three teams twice or something like that, and it would get a bit messy. But, but yeah, I mean, if you if you factor that in, we'll touch on Zach Jones a bit shortly. But so you, you enter round one minus Billings, Jones, and Clark. So that's three top line midfielders. You can mention Hanbury. That's if he still plays for us anymore. Has anyone seen him? Um, right on the list. You almost can't count him as a loss anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, you almost forget what number he wears or, or whatever's happening, but we'll uh, we'll find out soon enough where, where he's at. But look, it's a, it's a few out. Um, obviously, Gresham coming back in tempers that somewhat. Um, but yeah, it might end up by default presenting a chance for someone like Vitel, who's been a bit out of favour. But we'll, we'll obviously look towards that Collingwood game uh, very shortly. But yeah, Nick, the other one was the, the Zach Jones news, and I guess how long's a piece of string. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, you wish him well with with his situation. Obviously, taking a break for uh, his own mental well being. Um, but yeah, that could be three days. It could be uh, eight weeks. Who knows? But um, yeah, we'll wait and see what happens. Yeah, that's right. And and you know, far be it for for anyone to mm. you know, have, have a go at a bloke for for you know, yeah, turning up and fronting up with with you know emotional or, or mental health issues. And and good on him for you know being open enough to be able to identify that that he, he was struggling um obviously you know we don't know what those issues are and and that's not it's not our it's not our our problem it's not our issue um we don't need to know everything that goes on in, in these guys lives but um I, I did think that you know on the topic of that's so st kilda that uh hmm. you know zach jones kind of pulling out of the, the start of the season due to mental health and and well-being concerns um you know within 24 hours of the club launching the health and well-being center at Moorabbin um, and, and all those resources was, you know, just so St Kilda. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I wish Zach Jones all the best. Um, mm. I, I hope he gets himself right and, and, you know, he's able to be happy and healthy. Um, you know, we'd love to have him on the field, but he's got to get himself right first. Yeah, it's yeah. possible and, to... I was going to say, you also, yeah. you also don't want to have someone at the club who's not switched on. That, that That's what would 
happen to someone who's having a, a struggle of some sort that they're not switched on. You you're basically going out to the field with 17 and a half players if he's not not there. It's it's an issue. You go. It's better to bring someone in who is 100 percent ready to go. One is there to play than to someone who has their mind elsewhere. And it's not and it's not good for the club. It's not good for them. Yeah, and look, it's it's possible to, obviously, we we all wish Zach well, but at the same time, we can acknowledge it's a loss at the same time, which which it is. But um, there are bigger things than than that. Obviously, we we had similar with with Paddy Ryder 12 months ago as well. Um, He's he's an interesting one, which we'll we'll touch on probably in the lead-up to the Collingwood game. Uh, The the girls, uh, hard-fought win over Geelong. They looked really sharp early, uh, and then Geelong probably controlled the second half but couldn't score. I hazard a guess it's the first time we've held a team goalless. in that comp or, or in fact any comp for a very long time. So uh, good result, obviously tough challenge against Adelaide, but you feel like it's reward for effort. Now they look like they're going to comfortably avoid the wooden spoon. There's at least three teams I'd say that are worse than them in the comp. Um, one of them beat us, unfortunately in West coast, but um, yeah, I, I think we're, you know, the, the signs are pleasing. As I say, that Carlton game looked like a little bit of a blip. Uh, we, we've been severely depleted. We've lost games. We should have won. Um, I think there's, there's some progress there. We, we spoke about it last week and, mm. uh, you know, in the show, we, we talked about the fact that it, it wasn't a lack of effort. You know, mm. it wasn't anything like that. There was, there was a clear, I guess, lack of talent. Um, yeah. And that's for, for various reasons, which are, are well documented. Um, but, you know, I, I think also at the start of the year, the, the first half of the year, they just didn't look fit enough to run out entire games. And, and we spoke about how they would start games playing great footy, you know, moving the ball well, running hard. But then come the second half, they kind of fall away and they weren't able to play up to the same standard. And, and I wonder if maybe that's that's kind of turned around in, over the second half of the year. I think, you know, Caitlin Grise is playing much better now than she was in the first kind of four weeks or five weeks of the year. Uh, you know, Nick Zenos is back and she's playing some really good footy. Um, you know, a couple of the girls said just seem to be you know, fit and firing now, whereas earlier in the year it was like they, they play some really good footy for, you know, 10 minutes. Um, and then kind of the, the, the wheels would fall off. Yeah, you wonder whether they've looked at the season ahead and gone, okay, we're, we're a few players down and don't don't go out in those first, what because what would they play, 10, 10 games? You don't go out in those first few games, absolutely destroy yourself and then just taper out the whole season. It, it's kind of give a balanced effort across the season and it, a kind of they've been in, as we're saying, just about every game except probably about two games where they'll blown away pretty early. But every other game they've shown plenty, and then just run out of steam. So yeah, it's they've come towards the end of the season. You sort of think, okay, well, getting towards the end of the season, they're looking like one of the better teams. So it's it's just a matter of getting the list back, getting it the mix right and. Yeah, I reckon next year, which is going to come very early in August this year now. And yeah, we'll see how they go. It's a short I, turnaround. I wonder how much you can put down to the change in coach. I mean, you can see the skill level, especially early in games, you know, when they're when they're fit, when they're not gassed, that the skill level is actually pretty high. And they and like I said, they they play some pretty good footy. But then later on in the games when they when they run out of gas, that you know loses a bit of its luster, I guess, as, as anybody does. But you know, previously under, under Peter Searle, I think we were a pretty fit team. 
Um, and I know that she was a pretty hard taskmaster in the way that she trained in, in the expectations around, you know, that sort of stuff. And I wonder if maybe that style, I mean, Nick Del Santo is a lot more of a, I guess, a soft, softer touch, um, you know, he's a bit more of an, an inclusive coach, um, the, the new generation, whereas Peter Searle, I guess, comes from the old school coaching handbook. I wonder how much of that can, can kind of be put down to the change in coaches. Possibly. Um, I guess the other one, if Kate Shearlaw could be paid at least half the mark she actually takes, that would be good. The amount of time she clunks marks and for whatever reason they don't get paid, um, it's bewildering. But um, in any case... It um, reminds you of another tall blonde forward. It, it, it does. But um, <laughs> on the weekend, she took one which wasn't paid and then actually took one again 30 seconds later, which couldn't be not paid because it was a chess mark at the top of the goal square. And But yeah, I've seen it. Every time I watch, she, she seems to clunk a big mark that for reasons completely unknown don't get paid but um yeah it's it's frustrating but we'll see what does happen uh a few other bits of news but we will do our uh, our weekly that's very St Kilda segment uh and during which uh, we nominate things that really only happen to us um you mentioned Hunter Clark earlier um, I've sort of put him up as a player vital to our chances he then uh, dislocates his shoulder before his next game is over and we'll miss a bit of time but my nomination was a tweet from one of the best statisticians on Twitter in Swamp who mentioned that uh, someone asked him a question, unfortunately, I probably was a St Kilda supporter, but uh, basically he revealed with that stat that St Kilda in 2009 are the only team in the history of the game to defeat every other side in the competition within a season and not win the flag. Um, St Kilda in 2009 are also the only team to lead a grand final at every change and lose since 1984. And they're the only team in the history of the game to outscore a team in each of the first three quarters individually in a grand final and not win the flag. So you can just add that to the list of frustrations out of the list. To top it off, I heard You're the Voice on the radio today, which was sung before the 2009 grand final, and the song is now ruined. (laughs) Oh, good. At least it's not tear us apart, but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know if well, any other teams are also... ruined, by the way, because uh, they played yeah. in 2010. So, yeah, well, I'll just... <laughs> oh, three quarters of them anyway, but true. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, another another thing to the list of, I guess, only St Gilder has done. Has any other team ever recruited a forward at pick number one? who has then gone into be a, I guess, looking at going into round one this year, a lock as a key defender. Paddy McCartan coming back and he's stamped his name on that team looking at how he played on the weekend. It's the, the transition that he has made, you sort of think, it's why is that something we did not try at any stage? It's also it, the fact that he just even came back. Yeah, the fact that he even came yeah. back from the concussion. That's very St Kilda. And I might might add it's also very Sydney, but anyway. Yeah, well, they yeah, pick up the absolute scraps and turn him into gold sometimes. It's um yeah, but just just thinking back that it's the sort of thing that I think I think I actually said to someone at some point we should probably actually do that, playing back some stage. Because the problem, one problem was he getting all these concussions was he was first of all and then crunched from everywhere from behind. He is now using his big body to crunch the forwards from behind. He's the one who's actually inflicting these yeah, big pack 
hits and he he has got the body to hurt forwards when they go up for marks and make contests and it, it, it's it you could just see him being yeah he'll he'll play a max king this year and king won't get a kick that, that, that's just the sort of thing that is, will happen it, it's so yeah i mean good on him that, that that's the first thing i have to say though because not many there's a lot of other players who probably wouldn't have come back from where they were where from where he was so he's made the most of it and yeah he he could play 150 games from now who knows yeah, and, and good on him. But I mean, the entire story is is very St Kilda's luck over history that that would even happen to him in the first place, and then that he would be fine in his next incarnation. But but Nick, what have you uh, got? You might have touched on it, I think, briefly earlier. Yeah, well, I mentioned I mentioned Zach Jones, and and clearly that that whole situation is very St Kilda. Um, mm. But I, I I figure since I've mentioned that one already, we'll, we'll flip the script and something that's I guess a, a bit of a positive, but also very St Kilda. Is uh is one of our recent signings in the the SSP, uh, Jack Hayes. I don't think that there is a name that is less <laughs> that is more St Kilda than Jack Hayes. Has to be the most St Kilda name ever. <laughs> I think so. And he looked good too. I thought he was alright. He, look, he looks pretty. He's a big yeah. boy. He's a big boy. Yeah, did some handy ruck work. I thought, um, yeah, he looks like he should play a bit of footy this year. You'd, you'd be picking him, you know. But that's the thing. Probably both our backup ruckmen this year in Hayes and Campbell look look better options than the likes of Hunter and, and McKernan that we've had in the past. So, um, I think that's handy for us. But yeah, that is that is a very St Kilda name <laughs> that we would uh, that we would pull him out like that. Um, our next special guest had quite a unique name. I can't imagine there's ever been an Armitage in the AFL prior to uh, to David. But it's great to have him speak to us now on our uh, second edition of Unplugged for 2022. Off the left boot, heaves it up into the 50. Most of over the top, Armitage. Wow, what about that for a mark for a little bloke? He hit four against them last time. That's out of nowhere. That is, uh, that is massive. Have a look at the lift he gets. Oh, the little pop there in the hang. No, he's got a bit of a, a knee concern, but you wouldn't know it from that. Well, David Armitage taking pick nine in the 2006 National Draft. One of a few Queenslanders that have made a very good fist of it with the Saints. We, we've spoken to Sam Gilbert, Max Hudson, obviously Nick Rewalt, another that obviously... Tasmanian originally, but via Queensland to the Saints. Uh, Armo played 169 games for the club between 2007 and 2019, and now part of a very strong St Kilda contingent out in the Mornington Peninsula area, running around with Bond Beach uh, alongside Sam Gilbert, who we spoke to about this time last year. Armo, thanks for jumping on. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, starting off with the, the present, so obviously you're playing a bit of footy with Bond Beach. What else does uh, life involve? I think you're uh, you're still a young father. You've had a, a reasonably new arrival. Yeah, absolutely. We got um, little Lane, little girl. She um, she's eight months old. So um, between her and the uh, three year old Parker, it's um, it's mayhem at home, but um, wouldn't change it for the world. Um, and yeah, mate, as you said, running around with Bond Beach with a with a couple of close mates down there. Um, which is which is great. Amo, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Parker touched it at the top about the Queensland connection, but what? How did you get involved in in Aussie rules football? Was, your dad was a, an AFL fan. How how did that happen? 
Yeah, he's a Tasmanian um, and then moved up when I was born to, to Mackay in North Queensland. So um, he was a, a, a footy a footy tragic. He barracked for Richmond for a lot of years. Um, and then sort of when I started with the Saints, he, he moved over. But that's the um, that's sort of the the connection there with, with AFL was with dad was a Tasmanian and, and moved up north. And probably a good thing that, um, you know, I ended up playing a little bit of rugby league as a youngster and, and it sort of helped me be able to tackle but um yeah it was it was um in the end ultimately probably a good decision to choose footy <laughs> so we know the clubs generally send out recruiters to watch everyone and that sort of thing um did did you know that anyone had come up to see you at all or it was just video footage or did anyone approach you at any time saying oh okay we've, we've got a bit of a radar on you to have a look at you any other clubs apart from us or yeah yeah it was it was probably when i was um, I was around that, when was I, sort of 15, 16-year-old in Mackay. And, and um, at, at that stage, Mark Browning was the talent manager for Queensland. And he flew up from Brisbane to, to Mackay. And we had a chat with um, a guy called Jason Paul, who was a development manager for Mackay and, and my dad. And basically said, look, if you're going to make a fist of it, you've got to move down south to, to Brizzy. And um, ultimately, we made that decision, and um, I moved down as a 16-year-old to Brisbane from Mackay Morningside, um, and then that's sort of how that came about. Um, was was making that move as as a youngster down to Queensland, and then ultimately from there, um, you know, played for Morningside in in Brisbane, and then was um, obviously, you know, had a pretty good couple of years there playing for Morningside. I worked at the Brisbane Lions shop, so had a lot of um, interest from them. Um, and then, yeah, at draft camp, I, I, I spoke to St Kilda once. They didn't show much interest, to be honest, um, and then spoke to a, a whole host of other clubs. Collingwood said they were going to take me at pick 10 if they didn't t- take me at eight, um, and then St Kilda were in between, and I ended up going to the Saints. So, yeah. Now, um, St Kilda, between about 2004 and 2009-ish, didn't have a great record with first-round picks, but you were the exception, obviously, 169 <laughs> games, and, and it worked out. Uh, can you take us through going from Queensland to St Kilda? Because it was a time of change for the Saints. They just sacked Grant Thomas. They, they'd either just appointed Ross Lyon or were just about to. Uh, what was it like um, settling into that new home? Yeah, it was it was, um, it was a, a different one because I think a whole heap of um, players sort of, retired as well um, as, as I just got there or um, had moved on. So um, with with Grant, yeah, going, basically they had to, to find a new coach and Ross just got appointed. Um, so in the end, we actually played – I played 13 years, he coached 13 years and we were both <laughs> out at the same time, um, ironically. So, um, yeah, Ross ended up taking over. Um, you know, he, he brought in a really – Sydney sort of focused defence and, and um, was all about playing your role and, and um, trademark and, and, you know, giving 100% effort 100% of the time. So he brought in some real strong values along with the lists that they already had that that was, you know, quite exceptional really. So, um, yeah, it was it was a, a trying time for those guys. But but in the end, you know, he brought in a, a style and, and, and a coaching philosophy that, that sort of, you know, took us to being a, a great team without, you know, obviously getting the ultimate success. We we were a great a great side, and it was really a dynasty where we won a lot of games over that period of time. Amo, um, you talk about that that great team, and um, 
well, I guess one of the one of the few complaints outside of obviously not winning not winning the flag, but one of the few complaints that that factions of St Kilda supporters have uh, throughout that period was that Ross didn't play the young kids. And and what was it like for you? Did you feel like during that period that you deserved more games than you got? Yeah, good question. Um, I, I certainly did, um, and and so did, did a host of others. But um, he he made it pretty well known. Or, or clear that you had to earn your stripes and, and um, you know, he basically called it an apprenticeship and you, you do your four years of, of footy, of toiling away. But um, when, I mean, when you did earn your spot, you earned your spot, but, but you, you were seem, you seemed to go out of the team, you know, just as easy. So um, yeah, it would, it would have been nice to sort of have someone that sort of backed you and, and played you for a period of time, but um, that's just the way it was back then. We had a really, really good team. Um, he, he got a host of people, mature age recruits like Brett Peake, Charlie Gardner, Kingy Gardner, Michael Gardner, all these guys from, from other teams. And, and they sort of played, um, you know, Snyder, Dempster, those guys from, from Sydney. So um, being a young guy, um, trying to break into the team, it, it was certainly hard because we ended up building a really strong team. But um, selfishly and personally I would have liked to play a bit more so would have Jack Stephen and, and Jaron Geary but in the end ultimately maybe um, you know playing us like that made us the players that we were today so it's a sort of a hard one but um, yeah who, who knows mate who knows what the right or wrong answer is what I was going to ask sort of slides along into that same sort of area um, wait, wait, oh. Oh, the silly. Uh, yep. where, where did you think you fit best into the team? What, what did you sort of see yourself um, playing position-wise? Where and did you get put in where basically you thought this this is where I'm best suited, or did you not quite get that opportunity and didn't didn't really get to show what you had as best to give the club? No, I think I think um, early days, you know, a lot of a lot of guys get sort of shafted, not shafted, but are played in that half forward role. Um, it's it's a really tough position on the ground, if not the toughest position, because you don't get a lot of possessions. You do a lot of running, um, and and you're required to put on a lot of pressure. So that was that was the role early days to sort of learn your stripes um, or earn your stripes. And um, after that, um, after you sort of build a fitness base and and that kind of thing, you you end up going into the midfield. But that sort of took me six years to to build that tank and get into the midfield um, with, with the running that, you know, they required um, running offensively and defensively, something that you got to learn from a junior's days. Um, so yeah, half forward probably was my best suited role. Um, I was more of a attacking player anyway. So um, that's probably where I did see myself was that, that half forward uh, mid early days. Yeah. Oh seven, so you debuted at the same time as Brad Howard and Justin Sweeney. Now Sweeney played one game, Howard played two. You played 169, so you've obviously kicked on. Your first game was a an ugly game against Hawthorne at the MCG. That the following year you played a lot of footy, including a prelim, and then 09 and 10 you played a lot of footy late in the year. I understand before the 09 grand final, given the conditions, that a lot of you guys, yourself, Jack, Stephen, might have warmed up before the game. Is that true? Were you? close-ish to getting a game in that grand final or was it not quite as, as close as that might seem? Um, probably not as close. I think I ended up um, I ended up the last training session I ended up doing a little hammy nick um, 
which was unfortunate because we ended up going on to win 19 in a row. Um, so, mate, I, I basically played every week in the VFL up until round 18. Um, and I was, you know, putting on um, really good, strong performances. But St Kilda kept winning every week. So there was no way Ross was changing the team. So um, we ended up resting a whole host of guys. And now, sorry, the dog's going nuts. <laughs> Um, resting a whole heap of guys, and I think it was that round 18 game against Hawthorne down in Launceston. Um, and um, yeah, we ended up, you know, we weren't meant to win. We rested eight of our senior players, but we ended up getting over the line with a whole host of our young guys. So um, I played another two games for, for the year um, and then ultimately got dropped for finals. And, and to be honest, I don't reckon I was ready anyway. It, it's just a totally different step up from VFL to, to AFL. and I remember by that last game, I was sort of cramping in the third quarter. So to go to another level in finals, I don't think I was ready, but we did certainly warm up and played a part um, by training on still when the VFL team were out. So um, I, I definitely know I was emergency for one of the, the finals I was warming up. I can't remember if it was 0-9 or 10, but I was emergency there for one of them. What What were some of the things that, that Ross told you that you had to get better at to I guess, to, to get more of an opportunity in the seniors. So obviously, yeah, you mentioned that um, 19 or whatever, 20 wins in a row, you know, nine and, and getting back for, for just before finals. But what were some of the things that you kind of had to work on personally in, in the VFL to be able to work your way back into the, the team later on? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like anyway. Um, yeah, it was and, – and I suppose – just touching on the different coaching styles these days, it's 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 totally flipped, you know, 360. Um, it's all about being positive and, and um, working on your strengths rather than, you know, um, magnifying your weaknesses nowadays. So that was probably a thing back then where it was you were doing a lot wrong. There wasn't a lot right that you were doing, which I don't think, um, you know, helped um, guys that were young coming in. So... Um, look, there was defensively was was definitely one. I got pointed out just about every week on the footage for for um, you know not not being defensively as strong as as um, the team wanted me to be. Um, but I, I mean, I wasn't alone. <laughs> I think I think they just they just coach you to a um to a point where they you know you they wanted you to be a complete player and and that's never that was never going to happen. But for anyone really, they've all got their weaknesses, but. Um, that was that was probably the main one was just the defensive running and that kind of thing. That was always sort of pushed on me that I needed to improve on. Now, on a personal level, when you came to the club, did you find you latched on to anyone that was already there or some of the players that maybe came in at the same time as you? And and as you progressed through the team, did that sort of change at all? And or and in the social sense, did the same? Did you see? the same sort of players on field as you did off field? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I had some great role models in in Lenny, BJ, Dale, Joey, um, these types. Um, and we were a really close group um, through that period for sure. Um, there was a lot of a lot of external factors that were happening at the club at the time and, and Ross and, and our um, Tony Richards and our psychologist at the time really brought us together and, uh, I, I know that a lot of people heard the Saints bubble, but um, and only what we did externally mattered, which in effect, right or wrongly, it, it sort of motivated the group to do well. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, those guys um, certainly certainly took me under their wing and, and try to help me improve my game. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, ultimately, footy clubs make you a better person. So, But um, I still catch up with Mildy nowadays. He's still an absolute legend. Um, same thing, just, just takes guys under his wing and, um, once you connect with him, it's, uh, it's no going back. <laughs> <laughs> As you became a leader, sort of 12, 13, 14, 15, it's, and became a regular in the side, St Kilda started to struggle. How did you go moving from obviously not being a regular to being a regular, but also almost becoming a leader straight away with the retirements of Blake and Milne and Kaczynski and various others. Goddard left the club. Del Santo left the club as, as well. Um, how did you find that transition? I think you had a period during that time. We had 34 games in a row of 20 or more possessions, which at the time was, I think, a, a league record. So you seemed to handle it pretty well. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, you know, the, the, Naturally, the position I play and the way that I play with, you know, sometimes kamikaze, kamikaze going in stupidly crazy for, for the ball or, or the man um, sort of demanded respect from teammates and and sort of help them, um, inspire them to, to interaction sometimes. And, and um, you know, you still see the guys today, Selwoods, those types that, that do the same. They inspire their teammates by um, the way that they play. They might not necessarily be the biggest talkers. And we've got one right now in Jack Steele. Um, just the, the way he plays, he's courageous and, and blokes just jump on the back of him. So um, I think naturally it happened. But yeah, certainly off the field, I had to sort of potentially pull my head in a bit um, and not be so much of a larrikin. Um, that kind of thing had to, had to change. Um but yeah, um, I mean, in terms of um, what what I said, you know, I had I had years there. It's not always about um, the captain or, or anything like that. It's it's the group, and um, I suppose that's why we have leadership groups because you know, sort of everyone's different, and um, the vers the you know, the more versatile leaders you can have in in a group, the the better off you are. Was was there something that you actively changed in the way that you? either trained or prepared or, or played even um, between that period kind of following Ross's departure. And then, then obviously Scott Waters a couple of years at the club and then in coming into Richo, because that, I mean, that rise for you was, was pretty quick. You went from kind of being, you know, fringe midfielder in that, that really great team of 09, 10 to, you know, a really prominent player and, and a leader. And I think at some point you, you, you um, uh, filled in as captain as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... I probably just believed um, that, that, you know, I was good enough and, and I certainly worked hard. That's, that's one thing. My, um, I used to hate running. I'll be honest. I hated it. And then I embraced it. And once I embraced it and just thought, all you got to do is, you know, give a hundred percent every time. Once I learned that, and it did take a while. Um, and I flogged myself at training and, and in the gym and in off legs, I ate well, it, it was just a complete switch. Um, and that probably happened uh, when Richo came in, um, you know, getting some external advice from him, how they viewed me coming in. Um, they had massive raps on me um, and, and he basically just gave me great confidence and great motivation that I could be an A grader if I did A, B and C. So I certainly did that. Um, had a really, really strong camp in New Zealand um, when we had that, when he first came in and, and I sort of never looked back from there. Uh, unfortunately, injuries got me a fair bit throughout that period 
um, but I did have a couple of pretty solid years there. So if if you haven't already tried, started to do it, um, what's what's the one thing you'll pull out of, say, YouTube or whatever to show to kids and say, hey, look, I did something not too bad over my, my early years and the, what, what's the one highlight you might go, come have a look at this and, and just keep showing it as you get older and older? <laughs> I wish there was more because there was a couple of times where I um, did some really good things that it's not on YouTube. <laughs> um, the only one I really show people now, and I, I sent it to my old boss the other day, is getting in, into me about something at Fairhaven Homes. <laughs> and I ended up um, Googling the one where Stratton, myself and Ben Stratton had a head clash and um, he got knocked out and I got up and I was fine. So <laughs> I said, mate, you better look out. I've got a hard head. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just that kind of stuff. But there, there's a couple of couple of things where I started to um, get a bit tricky and kick some nice goals and that kind of thing when I was flying. But um, Yeah, I, th- I thought the, the one mark you got off the ground would have been the, oh, that was, the, yeah, key, the key one. I'll, I'll, frame, I'll definitely frame that one one day. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, the um, when people talk about that comeback game against the Bulldogs when we were fifty-five yeah. points down, everyone talks about Jack Billings because he kicked four, but you had forty-five touches that day, so um, that's probably one. Now, the last last one from me, um, sixteen seventeen, St Kilda improved quickly, nearly made the finals in both of those years, and, and just couldn't quite go on with it. Why do you feel? That happened. It, it felt like under Richo, we went from being a really open attacking side and then it really did tighten up a bit from, you know, 17, 18, 19 onwards. Did, did you feel like that side could have gone somewhere? It's a really tough question. I, to be honest, they seem like a bit of a blur to me. Um, mm. I can't really pinpoint why or why not. Um, to be honest, just sitting here right now, it's, it's probably something, um, like I said, it's, it's, it's just a bit of a blur. Um, I, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that. To be honest, <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. I was probably on. Yeah. To be honest, I, I, I started to be in the VFL, and um, you know, with with in respect to still being a leader and, and showing, um, you know, the the young guys how to play and, and show them the way and that kind of thing. Certainly, but um, yeah. I, I started to, to be on the outer, I reckon. I started to to sense a bit of, um, yeah, that, that my time might be coming soon. <laughs> Amo, just a, a two-parter for me to finish off, but do you reckon you were stiff not to have won the, the best and fairest in 2016? And and the, the second part 15. of the question is 2015. Um, what was the – so towards the end, uh, you had some concussion issues. How, how bad did that get and, and did it impact – kind of life outside of footy? Um, absolutely should have won it in 2015. No doubt about it. <laughs> no doubt about it. And I'll tell Jack Stephen to that day, he's only won three BNFs because I should have won the four. I should have won his <laughs> third one that he won, I think it was. Um, so, and then, yeah, the concussion. I got concussed a really bad one in the VFL at the midpoint. I think it was about June, July, um, playing for Sandy at Sandy. And um, that ultimately... Um, had a lot to do with me retiring at the end of 19. I had headaches there for six to eight weeks, um, was, was seeing a specialist every week. Um, so that's, and, and I had a, and I had a little fella. So that ultimately, um, you know, made my decision a lot easier in, in terms of not, not going on and, and playing footy. But um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a tough one. I, I don't know what will come of, cause I had a lot of concussions and I had a lot of, um, 
you know, problems with with head knocks. So not not well documented, but um, you know, there's certainly things that do worry me. You know, come later on in life with memory and anger and that kind of thing. So we'll wait and see. But um, so far, so good. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully, Touchwood uh, a couple more years of, of local footy without any problems, and then that'll be me feet up, um, and then I can just sit back and watch and. Hopefully Saints um, get one not too not too far away. Yeah, and I was just going to ask to finish off whether um, being involved with local footy so much still and the last two seasons obviously haven't helped at all. But do you, do you see yourself getting along to many games, or are you just someone who's probably going to sit back at the at home or at the pub or something after the footy and and watch it from afar? Yeah, no, Milne and I are still involved at the footy club. Well, we're meant to have been anyway the last couple of years with with hosting like a Halos room on a Sunday and get some past players back, but that hasn't happened. So I'm not sure what capacity we will again, but mate, I still love going down to the, to the club. I'll go down and see a few of the boys. Um, and, and I'll certainly get along to as many games as I can take the young fella. Once he starts getting a bit older and shows a bit more interest. Um, and then probably with past players, just catch up and go to the pub and, and watch them. But yeah, we, we still fit. We, we watch them fairly closely still. Now, you were tough, hard-working, consistent, reliable. I think fans always like that. And you're always a very, very popular Saints uh, throughout the course of your journey. Amo, thanks for, for joining us and, and good luck with everything going forward. Well played. No worries, guys. Thanks very much. I think I've got 1% battery, so about to die. So <laughs> we snuck timing. it in. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, thanks mate. Guys. David Armitage there, 169 games, tough customer. Used to go forward and kick goals a bit as well. Uh, did some very good things for the club and... Yeah, I think certainly, I think 2015, he had about 600 disposals, kicked close to 20 goals and yeah, very stiff not to have won the best and fairest in a side that struggled. But we looked at Collingwood. They got some some good news on the injury front with, I think they got Howe and, and Adams and a couple of others confirmed as starters, but they have lost Roughhead. Uh, also, Kruger, I think, went out of the side. Uh, also, their young defender, whose name escapes me, got injured during the week. Charlie and Dean. Yeah, and Braden Maynard with the suspension. Um, and a couple of others as well. But, I mean, it looks like they'll be weaker in defence and will be weaker in the middle. So um, if we can break even in the middle, hopefully we've got the weaponry to maybe exploit them um, and maybe slightly more firepower, hopefully. Um, It's first game for McRae. Young Dacos for them looks pretty good. Obviously, Nicky had about 27 on on debut in the, the game against the Giants the other day. So... Um, they've got a pretty good midfield. Their issue last year was scoring, certainly, and, and general skill level with the ball. Um, but they had some good wins. They beat Melbourne uh, during the year, ran the Bulldogs to a couple of kicks. Um, so, yeah, not an easy contest, particularly first up with a new coach. But hopefully we can, you know, scrape through a couple of these early performances, get some players back. We're not sure where Paddy Ryder sits. The club haven't ruled him out yet. They said they were taking a conservative approach on practice matches. So he's not without a hope, but he is still sore in the Achilles, which is a worry because that's what kept him out at the end of last year as well. Um, Leo Connolly came back via the VFL. So that's good that his concussion is at least over in that sense. But can they pick him straight off that? I doubt it. Um, and then, yeah, does it bring Vital into the equation to replace Clark? Um, where does Ben Long fit into it? Or do one of the kids like Owens or Windhager get a game or Wanganeen Malera potentially? So, um, yeah, they're the things, H, that I'm sort of looking at towards uh, Friday night. It, it actually makes, like generally you say, you're only as good as your bottom six 
Mm. It's it's going to make it quite interesting because almost for both sides, that bottom six are looking for that position mm. while these other players are missing. So you expect the some of the lesser likes to actually step up a little bit, give give something because early on, it's the time to show that they've got something right now to give a reason not to be dropped when the other players are coming back in again. It, yeah, it gives them a massive opportunity to basically, yes, cement themselves a little bit and it, it even makes the, the team for the season ahead. If we look and go, hang on, they, these players have actually got something to give us. That depth becomes a good thing and players fighting position, it, it's one of the best things you could possibly have that it means they train just a little bit more, a little bit harder, just to show it on the track. Then they get to the game, they play a little bit, they get, I guess, a little bit better at times. But, but yeah, I mean, get some of these younger kids in early, give them a few games, because you find a lot of the younger players, I guess, have that break at some point. So it, they'll have a, some of them have a few games, maybe bring a few, a couple of the other kids in afterwards from after they've had a couple of games or if they're really playing good football, don't stop them. But it's just, it's just a matter of give them that opportunity, show us what they've got and then we'll build from there. But get yeah, Basically we have to get the core right first and then build around with those players and find just, just which ones do work and which ones have the best thing to offer the club. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one. I think, I think our bottom six is better than Collingwood's bottom six. I think that I think if we don't win this game, I'll be really disappointed. Um, you know, I, it's a tough one because you, you never quite know what to expect in round one. I mean, we saw last year uh, we turn up in the wet in Canberra against CWS and and rolled them up there, and then came back the next week and and got thumped um, well, a couple of weeks in a row. Um, so you never know exactly what to expect. But I, I would be disappointed if we can't beat Collingwood. Um, you know, I think that's, that is, they are the exact type of team that we need to be beating. If we're, you know, talking about being legitimate this year, we need to be beating your Collingwoods and, and, and those types of, those types of teams. Um, Cooper Sharma is an interesting one. You talk about kind of guys grabbing those opportunities when, when given H and, and Sharman did that late last year. Um, uh, but it seems so far in, in the preseason that he hasn't had that opportunity. I he only played mm. with the last quarter against the Bombers. Um, and he's so not playing outright forward either. Which is yeah, and he, you know, in, yeah. The, in the intra club, he played some backup ruck and and uh, kind of around the ground and on the ball. So uh, I'm intrigued as to what the plan is with Cooper Sharman and, uh, and and kind of whether he even gets a game in round one. Yeah, that that is interesting. And, and yeah, it, it appeared to me that yeah, I mean, he he was playing as a third leading forward late last year with Member and King, and then obviously without King. And this year he's been a bit everywhere. So I just hope they're not getting a little bit too clever on that. Um, obviously, they're working towards a plan, but but it appeared that he had found a role. Um, it doesn't appear to be an obvious reason to change that too much. Um, Mason, would it be interesting? He spent a bit of time on the wing and forward, but I think he's looked good most of the time he's played for us, actually, even last year. So whether they play in wing or forward. And Ben Patton, who... In the intra club, they they forecast that he might spend a bit of time on the wing um, again, um, and and I like that sort of creativity. But um, at the same time, you don't want to reinvent something that doesn't have to be reinvented. So, 
whether he ends up settling back into his role in defence remains to be seen. Yeah, um, the one the one thing to look there for Patton is that since he got injured, you've had Webster coming back into the team. Battles now moved down there. Um, it's getting a little bit crowded. Um, he might take a, take that spot that Clark was sort of playing, possibly um, running off the back line. He, he's he's got a little bit of pace, but he's also got that strong intercept mark. That that's that's the one upside I guess he has to what we get from Clark, but yeah, Clark's got probably got the better skill, the better pace. So it's playing the same sort of position, but just a different skill set, I guess, from the two players. But um, that's where he's got to find, I guess, the runners off him instead of moving the ball himself. So uh, yeah, how he gets used will be interesting, but it's a good problem to have. We're looking at, as I said, plenty of players who can play plenty of different positions and it's players who we, we know have played a couple of different positions before as well. If, if something doesn't work somewhere, we can sort of shuffle things around a little bit and just change it up a little bit, I guess, to see where we're at in the game. If, if I hope rats maybe changes things a little bit quicker compared to what he did last time, a couple of times last season because there's a few times last season where things weren't working and it, it just felt like, okay, he's not changing anything. Is he waiting it, waiting for it to work or he doesn't know what to do? So if, if things aren't working, let, let's get a bit more proactive this year and just, just switch things up. And if it doesn't work, uh, the whole game obviously wasn't working. So yeah, we'll, we'll get past it. But as long as at least we tried something. You, you talked about the, the back six and, and that defensive half getting crowded. I, I wonder about Jared Lynott. I mean, we've seen over the last couple of days mm. or, or early this week that the club confirmed that signing uh, of Jared Lynott. And, and clearly, you know, there's, there's a bit of a hole there with Nick Caulfield going down and, and some unknowns around how that, that back six fits around Josh Battle moving back and, and all those sorts of things. But do you think Jared Lynott was signed as someone who is going to play round one and is going to play most weeks to fill that Nick Caulfield role? Or is he purely a depth player and they're going to try and fill that gap with guys like Jimmy Webster, Ben Long, um, McKenzie, you know, et cetera. I'm curious um, as to what the strategy was. I guess they played well against Essendon, but were they picking that side with players that were more likely to play in round one? Or was there a different strategy in mind? Because they say Sharman played less time, Bytel didn't play, Long didn't play, um, Jared Liner didn't play. So... Uh, you can't play everyone. You've got to give guys games. Obviously, Ryder's still in the mix who is being rested. So, yeah, I'm curious as to whether not playing in the Essendon game was a bad sign that you you weren't in the mix or if that was just some some sort of other strategy. But, yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, that, that starting point for the back six, so does Patton play down there? You know Wilkie will. You know Howard will is in good form. Uh, you know that Battle is going to do that. You know that Webster's probably going to start, obviously, in, in that role. So, um and then, you know, who, who replaces Caulfield? Is it just Patton that slots back in there? So, yeah, I, I would think that he'd be very, very close to a game if he hasn't got a game. But I think it also depends how they set the midfield up. So um, is it one of the kids that plays? Is it somebody like Patton that pushes up onto a wing and therefore frees up a spot in defence? We'll, um, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I think that line it would be very, very close. Yeah, it'll probably come down to, I guess, who the opposition is as well. Um, you think sort of with Collingwood this week, they're probably a bit more 
dangerous with their smaller forwards. That mm. I mean, Dugowie's kind of a that mid-sized forward. He's he's not a big forward. He kind of plays big though. Um, but you can put a smaller defender on him to try and beat him still. Um, I think Lenat's sort of on the bigger side. He, he's not huge, but he's got a bit of height to him. Um, he's about one one ninety three, one one ninety five. Yeah, yeah. So he's got he's got a bit of height to him. Um, he's not like he's not massive size wise, but he he's he can take a, I guess a bigger forward. Um, so it's, uh, his his selection I think is going to come down to who we're playing because we we got a couple of big backs already. If we're playing against a team who has a big tall forward line. That's where we might find we use him, um, but other than that, he might. I, I think he's going to be more of a, I, I guess, a, an insurance policy. Um, it'd, be, it'd be good to see him get games, but the less we have to use him, is we're probably in a better position, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's probably a um, a fair assessment that you want those guys to, to not have to be called upon too much. So. Um, obviously, we'll wait and see if Ryder plays. Otherwise, you think it'd be Marshall and um, Hayes, probably. Um, yeah, Grundy's looked all right in the preseason. It'd be nice to be able to double team him with both of our Ruckman. Um, otherwise, obviously, it's a huge job for Marshall. That that would be pivotal to the result. Um, his ability to to contain Grundy has got on top of him a bit in the past. Uh, Marshall's looked in good form. Good battle with Draper the other day, but. I'd love to have two against Collingwood. Um, otherwise, Marshall's got a lot of responsibility to us winning this game. Yeah, you wonder whether Campbell might be because you, you'd assume Cox frame, is going to be Probably, Cox is be the mean, second ruck. So that, that doesn't worry you, me too much. Yeah, <laughs> you're putting. I mean, you either go the bigger body against Cox, or you go to younger, faster with mm-hmm. Hayes. There's there's your two options. Do you? try to match or do you try to find a way to kind of beat him with, with that player? So it's just a matter of which way, yeah, they're thinking, okay, what's the best matchup to go with against what should be, I'm assuming Cox should be their second ruck. So Hmm. yeah, who's the best option against him? The other bit of news during the week before we wrap it up is obviously the succession plan put in place for Simon Lethleen to step into the CEO's role at the end of this season. Matt Finnis obviously implementing a lot of change, including the Danny Frawley Centre, which came up during uh, the last week prior to that announcement. So uh, what's everyone's gut feel? I must admit I'm a, a bit of a footy head. I don't, you know, I'm never hugely across, um, you know, that, that type of admin type stuff, I should be. But um, I guess I'm a bit more nuts and bolts in that sense that, you know, I kind of take those things on face value and go, okay, just just get it right, don't stuff it up. But um, as for whether they have or not, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to kind of evaluate, I think, because, you know, there are so many there are so many factors at play with a club like St Kilda and, and you know, where they are, the type of money that's coming in and performance on field obviously is a big one. But, um, you know, the CEO's role doesn't assent doesn't necessarily need to relate to on-field performance. And I think the impact that Matt Finnis has had mm. on us as a footy club kind of transcends that. Um, you know, you look at some of the things that he's implemented with, you know, the pride game and inclusivity at the footy club, um, the, the Danny Frawley Centre, like you've touched on, uh, bringing us back to Moorabbin. You know, the, the, these are all 
in, incredible things that have happened under his stewardship as as a CEO. In terms of yeah, you know who was going to succeed him, I think it was pretty much always going to be Simon Lethlean. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was being groomed for the top job at the AFL uh, before you know a, a couple things of high happened. profile <laughs> high profile things happened. Um, so you know that that's no surprise. That's no surprise at all. Um, I guess probably the surprise is that it's taken four years for it to happen. Um, but, you know, I think that it was always going to be Simon Lethleen. I think he's a very good operator. I know that not everybody agrees with that, uh, but you don't get to where he's gotten to in big organizations, in big sports landscape, like, like we've got here in the AFL um, without knowing what, what you're doing and he knows what he's doing. So it's certainly going to be very interesting. Um, I hope for all the good things that that Matt Finnis has done for the club that we can kind of set him off in, in a good way. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure there'll be kind of a lot more stories told throughout the course of the year and, and whatever he mm-hmm. chooses to do next is up to him, obviously, but uh, wish him all the best. And it hasn't just been a club level as well. I've, I've heard of personal stories of um, Finnis dealing with um, fans, just replying to emails, just, yeah, he has put, time aside to do that sort of thing to to i guess mix with the fans and let them know okay this is what we're doing this is where we're at this and just just answering general questions that they that they have the wanting to know where we're going or what we're doing or he's, he's been very open which has been fantastic so it is it's been quite strange though because he's he it feels like he's been there for a long time but it feels like he, he's only sort of just got here, done these things really quickly, and he's getting back out again at the same time. It's been eight years. But you could some you could guess that he'd been there for 15 years, or he might, you might go, he's only been there for about four years or something. It's, it's that weird feeling of feels like he's been forever, but, his own, but hasn't been that long as well. I sort of, when they said eight years, I went, oh, okay, yeah. I guess it's, I guess it's been that long, but if you ask me how long I wouldn't have had any clue to be honest so but um the one interesting thing that someone brought it up on the radio today that they've got so left lane coming to the top now who is great mates with Clarko and Hmm. you sort of go well we don't I mean we, we we want rats to succeed we want him to stay we want him to be successful but that stepping up now does that kind of put something into play or the, the it's interesting to see because I, I think i've got him more aligned with gold coast at the moment but potentially it, you just never know that, that that's the thing you don't know what what's going on in the background and that is that a possibility at some point we don't know yeah hopefully we win enough games that it doesn't matter obviously but we'll, uh, we'll wait and see what does happen obviously that will be a pressure on any club that struggles with the exception of obviously clubs like North Melbourne or Adelaide or whatever that might be a bit steadier or certainly teams like Melbourne or the Bulldogs, but um, teams like us, the Gold Coast, West Coast, Port Adelaide, um, teams like that uh, would, would be in that conversation. Uh, Nick? Oh, I just, just wanted to say, I think before before we finish up, that it, it would be remiss of us not to recognise the birthday of the great Tony Of Lockett. course. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's obviously the man that this show is named after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just wanted to say happy birthday, Plugger. 
here he comes and a good mark and that is beautiful football terrific team play back by the Saints wasn't it terrific now Lockett for his second goal kicks no doubt about it right through the middle Robert Harvey Lockett the leader's on out he comes and he marks 35 metres from goal Robert Harvey's had nine kicks and six handballs now the champion full forward, Tony Lockett, kicks it goal and he puts it through. Vidovic again. Hamlet punches it, but straight to Newport. This is Nicky Winmar, the long bomb. Oh, danger here because Lockett is there. Oh, look at that for a mark. Oh, what a great mark for the champ. Spencer looks like he's got the big job now. We'll find it hard on Lockett. Tony Lockett going for his fourth, and more importantly, a chance to give a good little lead to St Kilda. He's put it right through the middle. On to Dean Rice. The St Kilda running players doing very well. Here's Lockett. Was he held? Umpire calls play on, but he's got it. Tony Lockett. Oh, what can this man do? He is brilliant. Newport squares it to Winmar. And Winmar's away and kicks it to Lockett. He's lining up for number six from 45 metres out. Drop punt as always, straight through the middle. Six to uh, anyone offhand have a um, a favourite plug of memory? There's about a million of them that you could choose from, but um, for me, it's probably the the one I think about most is the 91 elimination final where he kicked five goals in 15 minutes in the second quarter. Um, I was only young at the time, but I know for a lot of Saints fans, that was it. We haven't played finals for 18 years and he's plugger ripping this game to shreds. Um, he kicked nine goals, six that day. And unfortunately, he was just slightly wonky in front of goal. If he had to kick 11, we would have won the game and he missed a few sort of gettable ones. But um, probably the greatest player that's ever played the game. I know some people will dispute that, but it's it's difficult to argue that case. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to choose from. Yeah, you mentioned 11, probably the 11 on the Mother's Day. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he got the 11 goals. These days, he probably would have got 11 weeks for the incident. <laughs> <laughs> as well um so it's yeah the just they say like pictures like pictures don't um yeah or you can't hear pictures but yeah you can pretty much hear the commentary when he he, he launches the ball into the front row of the Sydney cheer squad trying to knock off um Kenny's Kenny I think the yeah, guy in the front row Kenny. trying yeah. to knock his head <laughs> off pretty much so you, you can pretty much hear the the commentary leading up to it and into that that point so yeah it's it, i think it's it's a bit of a um uh, a part of the a, a highlight that anyone can sort of recall at any time there, there's so many aren't there i mean there's there's the pig there's uh danny <laughs> cave and there's oh, there's there's so many there's that that uh state game that forward line with uh with gary ablett and jason Dunstall. Dunstall as well yeah. um I mean, there's there's so many, but I, I always go back to that 91. You talk about the 91 elimination. I talk about that that game against Adelaide at Moorabbin. He's yeah. <laughs> been out for eight weeks or, or nine weeks, whatever it was, and comes back and kicks nine in the first half. Um, yeah. And it was just, I mean, you you said, Parker, there's there's probably some debate and dispute around the, the greatest of all time, but 
he's without a shadow of a doubt the greatest player I've ever seen play. Um, I'm not sure that that he he in in my eyes can never ever be beaten in that that title. I, I've never seen anyone like him, um, and I'm not sure I ever will. A 91 oh, season sums it up. So he's yeah, go on, hey. I was going to say, hopefully, if there is yeah. someone that is better than him, we get him. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's Jamie, the hope. I think he had daughters, unfortunately, old plugger. But um, that 1991 season, he missed the first six rounds, kicked 127 goals in 17 games. So if he maintains that average and plays a full season, he kicks 175 goals for the year, um, kicked 132 the year after. I think that the stretch between 89 and 92, he played somewhere in the vicinity of 60 games and kicked over 400 goals. It's um, completely ridiculous. It's, it's, that's the greatest run anyone has ever produced. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, there's very, very little conversation, I think, that can be said to the contrary. Uh, as we sign off, obviously, we did our own little Shane Warne tribute. We'll release the next part of this as a separate episode in full, but we talk about Tony Lockett being the greatest of all time. Shane Warne very much in that conversation as well. And obviously we know um, from his tragic passing last week that we shared our words, thought we'd check in with one of his opponents as well. Here is a, a few minutes of former England captain and one of the greats of the game himself, Alex Stewart, uh, reflecting with us on the life of Shane Warne. And that full chat will be released separately in the coming days. First came down to Moorabbin here in 1986, 32 years ago. This place has changed a lot. Um, for the better, it looks fantastic, the new changes down here. Got great memories uh, coming here and playing. I've got great memories of watching the boys play. You know, I got to know a few of the guys, were Robert Harvey and Nathan Burke. Brett Bowie became a good mate. So once then I sort of watched their careers go off, I was the same. And um, wherever I am in the world, I log on, watch the games all over the place. Um, I don't, don't miss too many. You know, we've got so many wonderful supporters and so many people barracked in St Kilda, but even the people that don't barrack in St Kilda, it's like they want to see St Kilda do well and there's been so many near misses over the years. You can't just jump off. Yes, we all vent our anger and frustrate like we do every football supporter. Don't lose faith. If you look at some of the, the big moments, there are a lot of big moments in Shane Warne's career, but when Shane Warne took his hat-trick, Alex Stewart was at the other end bravely battling on with a broken thumb, I believe. Uh, he was obviously in the change rooms for the Gatting ball. Uh, there's the incident where Shane Warne went down to Silence Bay 13. Alec was captain of England at the time. And uh, when things got nice and rowdy, uh, and he's been there for the majority of those Ashes series, with the exception of the last two that, that Shane Warne played. Uh, Alec, it's a pleasure to, to speak to you. It, it always is. And thanks for joining us. No, pleasure to be with you, but obviously very sad circumstances. But now, as you say, warning, I played against him a lot. He got me out a lot. Um, you know, I can call him a cricketing mate uh, and someone I had massive respect for. Um, it's just very, very sad. Sad news. And obviously with the loss of Rod Marsh as well, um, I've said all along, it's not just Australian cricket that are going to miss these two greats, um, but the game of cricket um, is going to miss these two wonderful people. Uh, when when we bring up Shane Warne uh, and, and you hear his name, is there a memory that immediately comes straight to your head? Is there one place you go to, whether it's one battle, one game, one moment? Uh, probably the flipper he did me with first time I played against him in Brisbane. In, yeah, remember that? Yeah. Three, four, I think the tour was. Um, we'd played against, or not played against him, he'd bowled us to us in the nets on my first Ashes trip in uh, 1991. He was probably at the academy then in Adelaide. And he, and he, he bowled leg spin uh, out the back there uh, in the nets to us as a, 
and at Netpole, effectively. But already people were telling us, watch out for this fella. He spins it big. Uh, he's a prospect. Um, and then, say, a couple of years later, I've cut him for four. Next ball, I went to pull him for four. Everyone thought I was going to cut it. I actually went to pull him. Um, and it's one of the few times I've been done for pace. Um, but to be done by, for pace by a, a leg spoon is pretty ordinary. Um, but thankfully, he went on to get <laughs> 700 plus wickets, uh, of which I think I succumbed, is it 14 times? But if you ask me one moment, it would be that time. You know, I hadn't seen a flipper before, uh, as I proved in the way I tried to play it. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, the big highlight he has is the first ball to Mike Gadding. And obviously, I'm assuming you were sitting back watching and is it the sort of thing you go, you sort of, as you say, you knew him beforehand a little bit. Did it kind of surprise you at all? Because obviously it surprised Mike, but is it the sort of thing you go, that, yeah, that it's not surprising. That's what sort of came out the first ball evolved that day. Yeah, listen, it's at the time it was, well, I think I'll have to check, but I think I walked out the bat after Gap was out. I think, I could be wrong, um, but if it was, if I wasn't, if I didn't follow Gap in, uh, then I was the next wicket down after that, I believe. But no, the more you see it, the more you think, geez, how would you play that? Even if you knew that ball, how that ball was going to behave, you knew that. It'd be interesting to see how you'd still try and play it. Because the amount of drift he got, of he started probably on the line of what, middle? Then it's drifted to a foot outside leg. And then it's knocked uh, the off bail off. Um, watching Heels, who'd kept to him before Ian Healy, he didn't know he was going to do as much as that either. Uh, but he's just listening. It was the making of him. You know, I watched um, the the Amazon Prime documentary or whatever you wish to call it on Shane. Um, and watching and listening to him, you know, he, he was a wizard. You know, that that that, that is the thing. Um, when people say to me, who would have, who was the best cricketer? I played against uh, and I've always said it I said Brian Lara and Shane Warne um, because they were both geniuses you know one with a bat one with a ball but they won games single-handedly near enough for their team and they had that you know we, we will never lose whatever the situation if I'm in the team I'll ensure that my team gets over the line and he instilled that uh, obviously he played in a fantastic Australian side but again listening to the tributes since you know, his fellow Australians have all said similar that he would not give in until it was all over. 